Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I mean, where are you better off? Are you better off investing your money at minus 110, mm. betting heads or tails, or picking a side in this ballgame? I, I don't know. I think both, both of us are on the same side of this thing. I, I was thinking, what was the worst bet I ever made in my life? And, and a lot of them have been on Super Bowls. Uh, the worst bet I ever made in my life, and, and I can remember it vividly. I remember where I was. I remember how I was feeling. And, uh, you know, I was a lot younger then, of course. I felt pretty good about things and thought the prospects for life were great. Circa 1973, uh, my buddy okay. Cliff Keller and I had started going to the flats, as they call them. We decided to take in the Belmont Stakes. So we had been weaned on harness racing at Carmine Abatello, stiffing horses while Del Insco slipped by on a rail at <laughs> Rosemont and Yonkers, much to our dismay. As uh, we were watching our minor bankroll uh, just dissipate into nothing. And we were thinking, man, this is fun. Let's do more of it. <laughs> how do you turn a, uh, you know, uh, how do you make a small fortune? You start out with a large fortune at the track. That's the old joke. But anyway, uh, so we decided one day, I guess this was uh, circa 1969. Wow. We decided to go to uh, the Belmont Stakes. My buddy said, uh, hey, we ought to try this. This is a spectacular event. Let's go to the Belmont Stakes. I always had an interest in horse racing going all the way back to when they used to distribute the uh, New York Herald Tribune. There's a defunct newspaper. It was defunct when newspapers were popular. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the girl that sat next to me, a lovely young lady named Drina Turner. I still remember this. uh, While everybody else was talking about the current events that were in the paper, we were analyzing the entries that day from Aqueduct (laughs) at Belmont Park, which, uh, you know, was an unfortunate thing. I mean, uh, it may be evidence that you've lived before where you have certain interests that nobody else has and you can't explain where they came from. There was no influence towards sports or especially degenerate gambling in my family. My mother didn't gamble. She didn't believe in it. She would give me that look, Louie, that you get at the doctor's <laughs> office. Kind of like Joe Pesci gave that uh, dealer when he was loaning him money to pay his electric bill in uh, the movie uh, Casino, where he said, yeah, don't, don't fuck with me. Don't fuck with me. You're gambling. You're gambling. And that's the kind of look my mother would give me. I think that that's, uh, you know scene was inspired by uh, the various looks that people have gotten from their parents. My father was not interested in sports. He was a renaissance man. So uh, I don't know where this uh, drive to uh, and compelling uh, interest in horse racing came from, but I had it ever since the third grade. So we decided to go to the flats. We go to the Belmont Stakes, 1969. I believe uh, might have been arts and letters uh, might have won that race. Uh, and then we continued to do that on an annual basis. And, of course, uh, I sprinkled in various trips down there on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, <laughs> Saturday, and an assortment of Sundays because uh, I really got some. I don't want to call it an addiction movie. When you call it an addiction, it has uh, negative connotations. But uh, I don't know what else. How else would you uh, determine uh, what this uh, particular behavior was except a sick fucking addiction to losing my money? So... I go to the uh, Belmont Stakes 1973, and what was going on that year? Here's Big Red. I tell you what, like a, a, a tremendous machine this horse is running out there. And I decide in a five-horse field after a secretariat had destroyed the field in the Kentucky Derby and set a track record, which I think still exists, destroyed the field in the Preakness Stakes, and I was going for the Triple Crown, and there were only four challengers in that race, one of which was Sham who had no chance. I mean, Sham was appropriately named. I mean, maybe in another year, Sham might have turned out to be an historically great horse. But unfortunately, there was that big kahuna in the way, and that was Secretariat Big Red. So um, I decided to be a wise guy, and even though Secretariat was a prohibitive favorite, as you might imagine, in fact, people didn't even cash tickets. They had winning tickets, and they framed them because oh, uh, wow. uh, you were going to get $2.10. 
yeah. on a winning bet. And people wanted to say, well, you see that? I had a ticket on Secretariat. I'm saying, go cash that motherfucker. You're <laughs> never going to get your 210 back again. <laughs> 10 cents uh, was, uh, you know, a, a consideration back then. You used to actually, remember when you, where you used to keep your change? Yes. Oh, I yeah, actually, yeah. yeah. I mean, now it's like, yeah, yeah keep it. Uh, it used to, and the common phrase was, do you have any spare change? Yeah, of course. I had some money in my pocket. I was just going to throw out the window. But, uh, <laughs> there you go. You can have it. So, uh, yeah, I, I didn't want to take the 210 on Secretariat. And I had a theory that uh, maybe one of the other horses could win. So I, I think I plunged my $20 on Sham at a tremendous price, which I uh, got about uh, three quarters of a mile worth of thrills. The secretariat uh, <laughs> went the first uh, six panels in 109 and change, which would have been good enough to win any of the sprint races on the card. And then continued at a mile and a half in the Belmont stakes, the distance of the Belmont, continued to draw away, winning eventually by 31 lengths. And I'm sitting there uh, looking at my tickets going, you stupid motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to beat this horse? And that may be the dumbest bet I ever made in my life. But uh, second uh, only to that uh, would be any Super Bowl that I've picked. Yeah. So um, I, I'm very leery about the fact that I like the Kansas City Chiefs. So, Luby, I don't know how you feel about this, uh, but I, I'm feeling the Chiefs. A lot of different reasons. You look at some of the statistics, the data that's there. Patrick Mahomes, uh, of course, a tough guy to bet against uh, as, as an underdog. Patrick Mahomes, who is seldom an underdog with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, he's been an underdog in 13 games. Jeez. In his career, only 13 times in, what is he, in his uh, fifth year now? 13 times he, he's been an underdog. So in a, is it a sixth? I uh, yeah, I mean, he's been to what? He's six. already won a couple of Super he Bowls. He's six, gone for his third ring. Six straight AFC yeah. championships, so that, that's six seasons. That's is, is it six or five? I, I'm not sure. Well, we probably should uh, look this I'll up look for factual up. purposes here because we don't want to pretend that we're sportscasters, Luby, that – have some kind of a notion about what's going on. But uh, anyway, regardless uh, whether it's five or six, I mean, he's been in virtually every Super Bowl every year. And, and as an underdog, Patrick Mahomes' record against the spread in games where the Kansas City Chiefs are underdogs, they're getting points in this one, two points from the San Francisco 49ers. As an underdog, his record is 12-1. and 12-1. and one. Only one time he's lost to the spread. One time, Sam Ritigliano. One time he's so, lost to the spread. So he's How been in the league seven years. Remember, the first year he sat behind Smith. 2018 oh, right. was his first year. 2018, 19, 20, 21, 22, and 23. Six seasons. Nice job there. <laughs> <laughs> Is that to do math? I went old I school. Three. I went third grade. I counted it out for you. <laughs> well, what do you got on that one? <laughs> Not so exactly uh, calculus. Uh, That's the way ridiculous. We're this out. Just that sad alone. In six full seasons, he's only been an underdog thirteen times. Like that's ridiculous. Thirteen times. Imagine that. That's uh, and twelve and one in those games. Ten and three yeah. straight up. Jesus. So getting two points. It's been fluctuating the line a little bit back and forth. And you're asking yourself, what is wrong with this picture? Why, why is it that uh, Vegas is trying to encourage you to dump all of your money on the Kansas City yes, Chiefs? That's yes. the number one scary factor. Yeah. Although I'm still going to go ahead and, uh, as I said, rival maybe the dumbest bet, betting against Secretariat. Imagine that. You're you're looking at a guy that bet against Secretariat in the Belmont States. <laughs> I, was I remember my friend who I went with uh, screaming, there, there's something out there by like a mile. <laughs> Couldn't really see it. We were down by the rail. In fact, uh, when I see the clip, I watched it again yesterday to uh, figure out exactly what went wrong in that race. And it was that I went and I uh, <laughs> thought that I could beat secretary. So. Where he's getting points, 10 and three straight up in games where he's getting points. So the money line looks to be uh, maybe the play there. I mean, if Kansas City wins, are they going to win by one or two? 
No, you may as well uh, take the price there and take a shot on the money line. And uh, does San Francisco belong in this Super Bowl is the bigger question. Luby, I don't know what you think about that. They, they, by all rights, should have lost to the Packers. The Packers kind of blew that game. And then uh, we're not for Dan Campbell. I mean, uh, they're they're out of this Super Bowl also. Hey, Dan, why don't you go for it on fourth and three, you <laughs> stupid asshole? We love Dan Campbell. We want to put our arms around Dan Campbell. We want to embrace the old school mentality of, yeah, we're going to bite your kneecap off. <laughs> Should have known right then and there he was going to make some really dumb move that would cost the Detroit Lions any chance they ever had of sniffing a Super Bowl competition. See, that's the thing about with this. That. Not only once does he do it, but uh, a couple of times. You, you would have been in a position midway through the third quarter, the Detroit Lions, to force Brock Purdy, who wasn't having a particularly good game, and the San Francisco offense, which was laying dormant throughout mm -hmm. the first half. Mm -hmm. They had, uh, what, all of seven points through the first half. Yep. And, and then they would have had uh, a total of 22 or 23 minutes after uh, blowing the first 37 minutes with nothing in terms of production to go ahead and execute three scoring drives yep. just just to be uh, back in the game, J just to put you in overtime. Three scoring drives, two touchdowns and a field goal. That's math I can do. There you go. And yet Dan Campbell decides, oh, you know me, Mr. Macho, me Conan. <laughs> Like they like Conan the Barbarian was on the sidelines there, right? Why don't they just get Schwarzenegger to call the plays? Ridiculous. So I mean, here's the thing. Here's what you have working. You have a guy that never loses to the point spread when he's an underdog. Underdog, and then uh, you have San Francisco, which is one of those teams. That it happens once in a while, where you're asking yourselves, how the hell did they get to the Super Bowl in the first place? Yep. Should have been knocked out. Now, towards uh, the end of the season, that they were looking really good, except they were decimated by Baltimore, who Kansas City subsequently beat. Yes. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm making a case here for Kansas City. I'm trying to convince myself that I want to go ahead and take these two stinking points, maybe even bet the game on the money line. Mm. And yet I'm doing it with the greatest amount of trepidation and fear that I've ever had about anything. I was more confident that Secretariat would lose that day <laughs> in the 73 Belmont than, than I am about the Kansas City Chiefs. I, I, I don't know. I mean, have we made a case here? Have we talked ourselves out of it? I, I still don't know. Is it going to be heads or tails, Louie? But I'm going to commit myself and make my selection, the Kansas City Chiefs, and uh, that they're going to go ahead and, and start carving their path uh, into history with, with the Mahomes. They will probably wave. They will wave the Hall of Fame waiting period with Mahomes <laughs> and just put him in the Hall of Fame right after this ballgame. What, what do you think? I mean, uh, am I way off on this? No, no, you're where Chiefs, every, you're where everyone. getting two. That's what's funny that the, the Niners are the favorite because the whole world's picking the Chiefs. And look, yes. the Chiefs went on the road. Uh, the Chiefs welcomed the Dolphins team, however beleaguered they were at the time. They were still one of the better offenses. If the defense wasn't totally banged up, a good defense. And they handled the Dolphins. And they went on the road to Buffalo with the weather being a major factor and handled the Bills. Then they went on the road to Baltimore and played arguably the best team in football and dominated them for a half, struggled in the second half, but found, but held on and won decisively, even if you don't look at the, the scoreboard. And then you have Mahomes and you have Reed. So that's where everyone's going. The Niners are the opposite. The Niners should have lost to the Packers. The Packers outplayed them for 58 minutes <laughs> until, yeah. like the, until that last drive where Purdy went down and scored a touchdown. The Packers outplayed the Niners. The Lions outplayed them even into the end of the game. They're, a lot of things went wrong for the Niners to win that game. So you look at it, you're like, okay, the Chiefs, of course. My thing is, the Niners have more ta have the more talent on the roster. It's just, can you go with Kyle Shanahan over Andy Reid? Andy Reid, for whatever he is, finds a way to win these games. 
since he's left Philadelphia, and Kyle Shanahan finds a way to lose these games. Yes, you have that factor is huge. Also, that's if you're going to go problem. coaching matchup. I mean, you're putting a check in Andy Reid's box, uh, even though Shanahan's had great success. But yes, he has shown a penchant to uh, choke badly. <laughs> He's on the all Heimlich maneuver team, is he not? <laughs> yes. He may have even invented the maneuver. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah, to uh, uh, stave off choking. So, uh, all right, so you're with me. Kansas City Chiefs, you're going to put your money there. Put your money where your mouth is on this thing. And uh, go ahead, take the two points with Patrick Mahomes. All the uh, trends in terms of gambling information and yeah. and uh, analytics so it would uh, lead you to believe that you're pretty safe there with Patrick Mahomes. You have Brock Purdy versus Mahomes. Uh, you keep saying that uh, Purdy's a system player. He may well be. He's fine. I, I don't know that any quarterback wins without a lot of talent around no, him. I'm not sure that any quarterback just manufactures a victory with a bunch of scrubs. You don't see that too often. So, uh, you know, Purdy, I, I give him more credit than a lot of people do. People are starting to wake up to the idea. Yeah, wait a minute. I mean, if you look at the second half of that Detroit game, right, right after uh, Jim Nance and Tony Romo, Declared that, uh, I, I don't know, were they doing a game or was it Olsen? Uh, I, I think it might have been Olsen. And, Olsen uh, that, and, that, that was uh, and, the and NFC game. Yeah, yes. it was on Fox. Yes. And, and they had just finished saying that, uh, I guess it was uh, Greg Olsen, who is highly touted as uh, an analyst uh, for you football. He's going to be replaced him, by Tom Brady like next him. year. <laughs> yeah, people like him. I, I think he's insane. As, uh, he starts out by saying, well, you know what? The one thing that's never going to happen is Brock Purdy going to beat you with his legs. Like he was uh, in some kind of uh, MMA matchup, and he was going to throw a bunch of kicks to the head. And sure enough, in the second half, as he's running all over the field there, like he was a second coming to Fran Tarkenton, exactly. they go, well, you know what? This guy can really be a factor in this game once he starts uh, using his legs and running downhill. <laughs> like it was the myth of the Sisyphus or something. Oh, my God. <laughs> what is this guy talking about? But, uh, you know, Purdy has acquitted himself, I think, well enough. Where uh, regardless of whether you want to minimize or marginalize his success by saying he's a system quarterback with a bunch of stars, he's a good quarterback. I, I think you, you would have to say that, and he holds up uh, under pressure, which uh, he's executed and orchestrated two uh, good game-winning drives. Yes. Or, or two key drives in the postseason. But outside of that, I mean, uh, just falls well short. I mean, he's not going to be mentioned in the same breath uh, as Mahomes at, at any time in terms of career assessment. And uh, here, here he is. He's got to battle this guy who's uh, just as tough as nails when, when it comes to these kind of situations. So we've convinced ourselves, I think, to go ahead and bet the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm going to do that. And, and then the other prop bet that's very popular right now is Pacheco of the Chiefs over, I believe, it's 67 and a half yards. People are of the frame of mind that he's going to run all over. And, and you would think this, that Andy Reid, as you said, with big game experience and uh, having a certain... Uh, calm uh, about him, uh, calmness about him in these spots, unlike Dan Campbell. <laughs> he uh, will probably try to ram the ball uh, a little bit down the 49ers' throats uh, with Pacheco, as everybody's expecting Mahomes to light it up with the passing game. Uh, and and uh, would you take a shot with uh, Valdez Scantling? Mm. He of the uh, hands of stone. No. I mean, they may as well introduce him as Roberto Duran, this guy, having uh, dropped a ton of passes during the regular season, which is something else uh, to look at, Luby, in this game. Because it seems like Kansas City's uh, wideouts and uh, receivers, uh, whether it's uh, out of the backfield or uh, tight ends, uh, th they have sort of shored up that, that whole thing about dropping passes, which they led the league in during the regular season. But uh, all of a sudden, Kelsey's catching a ball. Valdez Scantling is catching a ball. He only has to get 22 and a half yards, Valdez Scantling, to eclipse the over. That That's one play. Yeah, honestly. He's a, he's a deep ball threat. If he catches one pass in this ballgame, he probably goes over the total in terms of uh, yards. So uh, there it is. There, there's our three-element parlay. Chiefs, 
Valdez, Scantling, and Pacheco to go over their prescribed yardage totals. And you go out there and make a big score. Unless, of course, you try to parlay everything to Reba McIntyre, which we can't figure out what she's going to do with the national anthem. And then I'm feeling tails on the coin flip. So there's our Super Bowl analysis. I hope you guys make a lot of money with this thing. How disjointed was that conversation? <laughs> I, 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 I'm still up in the air with this game. I'm leaning Niners, but I just can't go with Shanahan. The Shanahan factor, it's not even the Purdy, because Purdy played well in the second half for the Mahomes. It's yeah. Shanahan, I don't, I just don't, you said it, and, and the professor agreed with you when I was talking to him. That's why he hates Shanahan. The 28 to three was one thing, but doubling down with Jimmy G when you had a 10 point lead with seven, six and a half minutes left, and you, Threw it instead of just running it. Your defense was playing well, and you allowed the Chiefs to get an interception and turn the game on its head. It's just some guys are who they are, and you think they're going to learn, and they don't. And Andy Reid yeah. has shown he can win these games, and Shanahan shows he will lose these games. So that's why I lean Chiefs. Yeah, and while Dan Campbell is probably eating a giant turkey leg on the <laughs> sideline there with uh, the juice dripping down his chin, he'll be going for it on fourth and uh, nine uh, in the future when, yeah. when he's in the spots, if he ever gets there again with the Detroit Lions. All right, Chiefs, Pacheco, Valdez-Scantling, Pacheco and Valdez-Scantling over, and uh, we, we still, I mean, maybe we can make a decision by tomorrow on the national anthem, which would probably be the way to go. As over. we said yesterday, and that is get out of the bet before the game even starts. <laughs> then you don't even have to watch it, right? You can go to any restaurant and it's going to be empty. You can do anything you want. You want to go to the park and shoot baskets? Nobody's going to be out there because everybody's going to be riveted and watching the Super Bowl. And uh, yeah, so far, I mean, uh, the San Francisco 49ers have maintained their favoritism because I believe if you look at the big picture, Vegas is daring you to yes. go ahead and bet the Kansas City yes. Chiefs. yes. So, so I like that position. All right, uh, that's going to do it for a very confusing edition of the uh, morning briefing here. I don't know that we helped anybody. I don't know that we even helped ourselves on this thing. I'm trying to convince myself to bet the Chiefs. Super Bowl pre-Super Bowl edition, right? Is that redundant, Luby? Super Bowl pre-Super Bowl. Yeah, it is pre-Super Bowl. And nobody knows what the hell the outcome is going to be. Uh, you talk to a zillion people, you get a zillion different opinions about uh, what's going to happen in this ballgame. But uh, pre-Super Bowl edition of the morning briefing. I'm Jeff DeForest, and that is... That is the hottest man on the planet when it comes to predicting playoff games, right? You're still sitting there at five and one in your last six. Not too bad. What's scary is that we agree on the outcome of this game. <laughs> Although it's with great trepidation. I, I don't know that anybody is overwhelmingly convinced. Uh, we have a couple of buddies that sent it in very heavily on the San Francisco 49ers as soon as the line came out, which has been hovering around two points in their favor. Yeah, And then we discussed this yesterday, uh, that uh, you, you always want to take the points with Patrick Mahomes. You'd be sitting there at 12-1 and one in situations where the Kansas City Chiefs have been underdogs. It's a rarity over the last several years, and uh, here they sit as underdogs again. As if uh, you're about to get sucker punched by the books in Las Vegas. There's a reason that the lights never go off in Las Vegas. And man, is that town rocking right now. Had a big fight there uh, last night, our good friend Brad Jacobs. Top-ranked boxing uh, staged a huge show on a Thursday night. They've been doing that. He was, of course, uh, the producer of uh, the Tuesday night fights on the USA Network and largely responsible for the big comeback of George Foreman, which sparked that program to a humongous ratings for a boxing show. And uh, then he's come up with this concept now and has these big fights on ESPN on a Thursday night, although this one was a bit of a dud, staged at the Mandalay Bay. Tiafimo Lopez uh, against a kid named Ortiz, 
who uh, just ran the entire time. Uh, he, he had his track shoes on. I guess that was an indication that he wasn't going to engage Lopez too much, <laughs> who has a superior power. Lopez was a 7-1 favorite in this fight and barely scraped out a unanimous decision, uh, winning on two of the scorecards uh, by margins of 7-5 to five in terms of rounds, 115-113. So that had a lot of nervous chalk players getting ready to be zipped up in a body bag. And, of course, uh, the other event that's going on there that uh, receives about as much attention as uh, if they were having some kind of spearfishing contest in the Bellagio Fountains, and that is the Live Tour, Luby. It doesn't matter how much money they spend on players. They got John Rahm there, and uh, uh, Terrell Hatton uh, recently signed on with the Live Tour. Of course, uh, they made that original acquisition uh, away from the PGA Tour of several of their stars, including Dustin Johnson. Phil Mickelson was a big splash, even though he appears to be a shot fighter, pretty much washed up in terms of being a competitor. You had Brooks Kepka with the teeth. How much cocaine was Brooks Kepka <laughs> at the Panthers run? When he was at that Panthers, <laughs> my God, they had a shot of him in the booth there. Uh, he looked like uh, DiCaprio in The Wolf of Wall Street, which I, I watched again the other night. Uh, it's been playing uh, frequently now on Showtime. Showtime, Showtime. And uh, it, it amazes me that we actually had Jordan Belfour on the program a couple of times, uh, the guy who the movie was based on. Do you think that is uh, anywhere close to an accurate depiction of what this guy was doing? Nobody could be alive after doing that many drugs. It's unbelievable. He said, and, yeah, he uh, said then, of course, uh, the orgies. What's the limit? He said on the drugs, he wasn't doing drugs to that degree, but everything else he said was pretty true to form. <laughs> <laughs> what a life. I mean, yeah. if it ended right then and there, uh, he would have lived uh, you know, a zillion lifetimes by anybody else's standards in terms of uh, having just a raucous good time. Well, we're hoping, though, that, that you guys have a raucous good time uh, on the uh, Super Bowl. Live Tour uh, is in Las Vegas right now, and uh, not, not much fanfare mm-hmm. surrounding their uh, first round. Does anybody pay attention to that? Uh, they're on, like, the CW. Do they still have that television contract? I think. I think they are sandwiched in between Mannix and Barnaby Jones <laughs> on tape delay on the CW. Mm. What the hell could they possibly be thinking? How could they be making money on this thing? I, I know if you were a, you know an advocate of the idea that this was strictly sports washing and washing the hands and the blood off the hands of the Saudis, uh, you would have to think, yeah, that, that's pretty close to the truth, isn't mm-hmm. it? I mean, uh, they, they have uh, generated absolutely 0.0 Blutarski numbers in terms of buzz. But they're out there in Las Vegas right now. And, of course, it's time to uh, pull the curtain and uh, open it up on the big event, which is uh, Sunday. Now, a lot of people are going to be having Super Bowl parties. We've had a theory for years about the five essentials, the five Bs that are essential to a good Super Bowl party. You're familiar with this theory, uh, Luby. And. I don't know that anything has changed on the standards that we put out there. Five B's that are vital to a good Super Bowl party would be booze, number one, babes, number two, a big screen TV, number three, barbecue, number four. And of course, now everybody has one right in there the in the pocket. Damn. A bookie. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so if you have those five things, uh, and then you have to hope for a decent game. Actually, I think I, I root for like a blowout in the Super Bowl. Remember there was that <laughs> period of time, it seemed to go on for like a decade. Like every game. Where every Super Bowl game just absolutely sucked. Yep. It was uh, among the worst competitive uh, events that you would ever lay your eyes on. And then that was the good thing because uh, the pregame show has already started. So if people are arriving for the pregame show, uh, CBS, you could turn it on right now, and uh, everybody's there. Even Nora O'Donnell is uh, standing out there in front of the uh, front of the Bally's Hotel, uh, you know, hawking the idea that you know what, you can bet on this game and you can watch it right here. Everybody's pumping it up. Uh, pre-game show uh, underway. Uh, the people show up for the pre-game show. Uh, how early 
before the 6.30 uh, proposed kickoff of the Super Bowl, do people start showing up at your parties? Will be, oh, uh, at the party? Run one? Four yeah. or five? I mean, do people start up early, start, show up earlier than four or five? That would be annoying. Yeah, the flowers are usually in the punch by the end of the first quarter. <laughs> and then you're praying for a blowout so that everybody will leave by halftime and you can just uh, sit back and watch the rest of the game. Hopefully you're on uh, the winning side. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, going to be uh, quite quite entertaining to see, uh, you know, what actually transpires in this game because it, it does loom as a toss-up, right? Well, we have any number of friends that, that think that this game is going to be close. Like a lot of NFL games now, they've uh, morphed into NBA uh, games in terms of the way they're played out and the uh, dynamic of the game itself. Uh, will this boil down to the final couple of minutes to decide the outcome of the game, in your opinion? Or is this thing going to be pretty comfortably won by one side or the other? Yeah, I think it's going to be a really tight game. I mean, I, it's funny that the better all-around team by almost every account is the Niners, but they've struggled. Their quarterback is Brock Purdy, whereas Chiefs have started to come on. Defensive line starting to play really well. And Spagnuolo has been calling really good games. And Patrick Mahomes has shown that he can be more conservative, smart, and not take those risks, take those chances, limit the drops of his receivers by just not overthrowing to them, and find ways to win games and not just be this dominant force. Um, to me, I think it's going to be a close game. And again, what's... The only reason I'm not all in on the Niners is I think it's going to come down to the coaches at the end, and I think Andy Reid has a massive edge over Kyle Shanahan, who's proven now twice whether offensive coordinator, and I get it. He wasn't the head coach, but it was pretty clear Dan Quinn, a defensive coordinator, wasn't calling those plays at the end of that fucking Super Bowl. Whether he should have been, whether he should have reigned in Shanahan, or he shouldn't have, he didn't. It's clear Shanahan, the young offensive coordinator, wanted to show what he could do, overdid it and allowed the Patriots to come all the way back and beat them in overtime in the Super Bowl or head coach with the Niners again having a comfortable lead and he had to show who he was and what he could do instead of just running the fucking football and letting his defense continue to dominate Patrick Mahomes. I just feel like Andy Reid's confident in who he is, comfortable who he is and he doesn't have to reach and Shanahan for some reason or another every time his team's in the position to close out a Super Bowl he finds a way to lose it. I just wish Andy Reid would stop eating. <laughs> We're tired of referring to him as the fat man. Shouldn't he be appearing in a Golo commercial or one of those weight loss commercials? Uh, maybe uh, jacking his uh, waistline with some Ozempic there, just sticking a needle right in his stomach. Do they really need to feature him eating at Wendy's? Yeah, I love the Wendy's. Not only uh, his uh, plate of food, but then eating everybody else's at the table. Like the commercial. The man is morbidly obese. Would you stop it already with Andy Reid? It's morbidly obese. Mocking his eating habits. It's like he can't listen to them. He keeps asking about the next food item. It's like it's Wendy's. Unbelievable, yeah. I mean, this guy's the last guy that needs to be eating a bunch of fried food that is uh, not even composed of the uh, real animal itself. Exactly. What kind of processed meat is in Wendy's Chicken oh, McNuggets? Good. Do they ever re- reveal the ingredients no. there? And it's good for you. No, they never say that. No, oh, no. They just put some fat fuck in front of you, and uh, he can't <laughs> help but poach everybody else's meal. <laughs> Stop it already with Andy Reid. Let's help Andy Reid. We like exactly. Andy Reid. He's a likable guy. His family's had an immense number of struggles. I think both of his sons have been in jail and uh, been yeah. addicted to things. And uh, you know, one of his sons was an assistant coach and doing like four years now for... Uh, vehicular manslaughter. Yep. When he was a drunk at the time. I mean, the guy's had a share of problems, and yep. he maintains a pretty friendly and engaging demeanor. Stop 
feeding this fat fuck. That would be the message of the Super Bowl. I don't want to see any more commercials with him slobbering down a bunch of food. That uh, would, would kill most people anyway if that was all you ate. Uh, no matter how, how much he recommends it, uh, I will never. I am boycotting Wendy's as a result of that particular commercial. But, but anyway, that aside, uh, favorite Super Bowl, Louis. Do you have a favorite Super Bowl? Mine will always be Super Bowl three, of course. Because uh, at the time, uh, it was 1968, the uh, championship game. 1969 was the date of the Super Bowl, January 12th, the Orange Bowl. Joe Willie with the finger in the air. That, that's one of the iconic pictures of all time in, in sports. As Joe Willie was leaving the field, Namath, and he's got the finger in the air after he guaranteed the victory very casually. I mean, imagine this. Uh, can you picture this going on today in sports? Where many of the people uh, were interviewing Joe Namath while he was on the beach here in uh, South Florida. And then, of course, he made that statement while he was sitting with a bunch of reporters around the swimming pool. And uh, one of the iconic columnists of all time in the history of sports writing, the late, great Edwin Pope of the uh, Miami Herald, uh, was uh, the guy that picked up on the idea that said, uh, oh, wait a minute, Joe Namath just said that uh, there's no way they're going to lose. All you had to do was bring that up to Don Shula, which uh, that was another part of the uh, whole legacy of that game. said, I got to know Don Shula pretty well. And if you mention Joe Namath... <laughs> And or the guarantee, he bristled, my friends. It was like you suggested to him that Bill Belichick was a better coach. And uh, this was while he was alive. And uh, he would just uh, stick that jaw out and essentially, uh, without saying a word, suggest that you go fuck yourself. <laughs> so uh, that was good. But uh, I, I do remember this. I, I was a vendor at Shea Stadium. I had a, a souvenir stand by uh, one of the gates, one of the entrance gates, Gate D, I remember. Gate D was uh, right next to uh, the player's parking lot. They came in through that end of the stadium. And I remember I'm selling hats. It was freezing inside. Once you got inside the stadium there, uh, the wind at Shea Stadium was just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and uh, all of a sudden, you really did. You started considering eating each other's flesh just to stay uh, alive. So we're watching the players uh, come in, trickling in from the Jets. And it's like 10 o'clock, no sign of Joe Willie. 11 o'clock, no sign of Joe Willie. And then about, uh, I would have to say it was uh, about 12-15 maybe with a 1 o'clock kickoff for this game against the Oakland Raiders, the AFC Championship game of 1968. Remarkable comeback by the New York Jets. And we see a guy in a fur coat coming in, and he's got uh, two Swedish uh, models, one on each arm. And we're thinking, nice cufflinks, Joe, but what the hell? They were holding him up. And the legend goes, I mean, if you see any documentary about that game or about Joe Namath, uh, the New York cops were on to the idea that Joe Namath had been out partying until four in the morning the previous night, perusing uh, various bars, and they subsequently figuring that they had solid inside information, sent it in on the Oakland Raiders, who looked like a winner right up until the end of the ball game there, when uh, Namath found uh, Don Maynard in the end zone, and they managed to pull it out. But uh, legendary stuff. I mean, uh, the guy could barely stand up, never mind the injured knees. It was uh, strictly because he'd been on an all-night bender the day before the AFC Championship game. And then he has the audacity to guarantee that they're going to beat the vaunted Baltimore Colts, coached by Don Shula, quarterback, uh, although uh, he, he didn't play much in this game, by the great Johnny Unitas, with uh, Bubba Smith and all kinds of uh, tremendous players. And somehow they grounded out a uh, tremendous game plan by Weeb Eubank. And they got, grounded out a 16-7 victory in a somewhat dominating performance. Favorite Super Bowl of all time. I, I don't know. Do you have a favorite? Does any Super Bowl game stand out to you? I mean, when the, I hated the Bills, and I actually liked the Cowboys before Jerry Jones sucked. You like the Johnson. Cowboys? Wow. Well, not now, but I mean. It's on american When you didn't really know who Jerry Jones was, when Jimmy Johnson yeah. was the face of the Cowboys, I liked that. I really liked that group. 
Uh, so when they annihilated the Bills, that was great. I don't know if it was the first one or the second game where they beat the shit out of the Bills. That was yeah. wonderful. I truly most enjoyed that game. people here uh, in South Florida hated the uh, Buffalo Bills. So. Uh, all right, a couple of prop bets uh, I was looking at. Uh, over-under on the anthem. Uh, we still need to do some more research on that. I'm going to go over on that. Reba McIntyre. Yeah, I, I know I, she I, had the 83-second anthem. Yeah, yeah. The only time it's gone under 90 and a half seconds, which is the line, over-under line, 90 and a half seconds, was 1999. Uh, this, this is the most recent time that that's happened. 1999, Billy Joel went under 90 and a half seconds. Uh, I think in the enormous spotlight that's cast upon a star doing the Super Bowl. Now, the World Series is one thing. This is the fucking Super Bowl. Yep. Don't you think McIntyre is just going to stand there uh, for a couple of seconds, take a deep breath, and then finally deliver the yep. uh, one thing that we want her to, and that is stretching out the word, into ridiculously exorbitant proportions yep. so that uh, we can all cash a ticket on that. Uh, seven of the last uh, coin flips have gone tails. Does that indicate uh, a trend there? It's kind of like when the guy comes up to the uh, uh, roulette wheel and, and you see on the board there, there's been nothing but a sea of red. that has been 19 straight red numbers pulled and some wrapper will unveil. Uh, just take the rubber band off a giant wad of cash, plunk it down confidently on black, not realizing that every spin is completely arbitrary as it would be with the uh, coin toss. So what do you think? Seven out of 10 tails. Is it time to move off that and go with heads or follow the trend? Uh, I would go heads. I would think heads. it's gonna okay. All right, I'm gonna go gears. heads in the over run the uh, anthem. I think yes. we reversed from uh, an opinion of tails, but I didn't see that uh, trend there. Law of averages I'm gonna go with there, that it's gonna balance itself out. And, and then uh, here's an interesting one. Lil John, who I'm not familiar with. You say he's an Atlanta rapper. Lil John, you have to lay uh, 200 to win 100 that Lil John will make a surprise appearance, an unannounced appearance, with Usher during the halftime show. Now, they have a big hit song, uh, I believe it's called Yeah, yes. that they put out together that uh, has gotten billions of hits on Spotify. Uh, would it not be appropriate for Usher, who doesn't seem to be an overwhelming egomaniac, does he? Seems like uh, one of these guys that would be uh, more than anxious to embrace some of the people he's collaborated with over the years. Uh, will Lil John make an appearance there? And then here's a good one, Luby. Uh, you're getting plus 1,200. Is there any chance that Will I Am shows up during the halftime show? Will no. I Am? No. Plus 1,200. You put down 100 to get 1,200 on that. And you're, you're, you're wondering, uh, you know, I mean, maybe we can get some information on that. Uh, find out if he's even in Las Vegas, Luby. Maybe he flies in right before the halftime show. But uh, that, that's another thing to take a look at uh, during uh, halftime. Uh, I'm also going to say that Mahomes goes under 262 and a hook on passing yards. Don't you feel like uh, Andy Reid's going to try to run the ball in this game? And even if he's not successful, Reid is not the type of guy to go away from that. But uh, last year, when they were carrying the Philadelphia Eagle fans out of the sportsbook in body bags after they uh, blew a big lead and Mahomes uh, rallied the Kansas City Chiefs in the second half to what looked to be almost an impossible, improbable victory at that point, uh, he only threw for 182 yards in that Super Bowl. So that, that's well short. I mean, you can see that uh, Reed uh, is one of those guys, unlike Shanahan and unlike uh, Dan Campbell, who, who will adjust uh, his approach because of the magnitude of the game and uh, find that uh, maybe he can uh, get some kind of metronomic control by running the football more than uh, depending and relying on Mahomes, which everybody would be expecting him to do. So uh, with the uh, sort of diminished performance of the wide receiving core of the uh, Kansas City Chiefs this year, I think they've uh, gotten over the drop season no more. Manos to Piedro, hands of stone. 
as uh, they've uh, managed to catch the ball. Travis Kelsey, who was just a drop machine prior, and, and you were thinking the, the old adage applied, right? Right out of Rocky Balboa. Women weaken legs. He was horrible uh, at the tail end of the regular season, uh, going into the postseason. All of a sudden, he's back to his old dynamite self. So uh, I, I'm thinking that uh, Patrick Mahomes goes under 262 and a half yards. Under. Maybe. He hasn't actually played well in the Super Bowls. Um, he's had moments like the last seven minutes versus the Niners, um, the second half versus the Eagles when he was on the one leg. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, the Niners' defense has been hit or miss. They played really well in the second half versus the Lions. I, I think they're going to have to run the ball. I like your Pacheco bet, and I probably like. I, I wouldn't go in on that one, but if I was going to, I would go under because right. I don't know if he's going to have a throwing fest. There's your burial picks for the Super Bowl. Yeah. All right, you guys uh, enjoy it. Uh, remember, you need booze, you need babes, you need a barbecue, you need a big screen TV. And uh, now it's not as essential that you invite uh, Louis to Lip Lipschitz or some type like that. But uh, make sure that you have a way to make wagers on the game. And don't use your own account. If, if somebody shows up, make sure they give you the money first if you're going to make a bet for them. But a bookie would also be an essential part, uh, component of any successful Super Bowl party. All right, good luck, everybody. We'll see you on Monday with our review, and uh, maybe uh, we'll actually crack an egg right over our heads because uh, I'm not sure that we're on track with any of this stuff, and I don't know that anybody is overwhelmingly convinced that they're on the right side of things in this ballgame. So, uh, From the newly renovated sports bar to the beautiful bayside views captured at the Tiki Bar, Jimmy Johnson's Big Chill has it all. Located at mile marker 104, the Big Chill also offers waterfront dining while experiencing breathtaking sunset views of the Florida Keys. It's simply the hottest spot in the Keys to cool off. That's Jimmy Johnson's Big Chill at mile marker 104 in Key Largo. For more information, call today at 305-453-9066. These days, we're all looking for comfort anywhere we can find it. Thank goodness for Landlubbers, Raw Bar and Grill in the plantation because they are making sure you are as comfortable as possible. First of all, they're not only open for delivery and pickup, all you have to do is go to landlubbersbarandgrill.com for both pickup and free delivery. You're going to have the best wings in the world. You're going to have a great burger. You're going to have their amazing soups. Again, Landlubbers, Raw Bar and Grill. It's nice and easy. Just go to landlubbersbarandgrill.com for both your pickup and free delivery. Thank goodness for Landlubbers for making you always feel right at home. Hey, folks, Tony Segreto here. Let me ask you a question. What do you look for when you go out to eat? Good food, obviously, friendly atmosphere, not too loud, but good energy, reasonable prices, and a place where you feel comfortable. All those ingredients, no pun meant there, are hard to find unless you're talking about the Texas Roadhouse. You see, they encompass all of those attributes. Really, really good food, amazing atmosphere, good for a family, good for a date, or just a night out for yourself, and prices that will make you extremely happy. Their ribs unmatched, steaks hand-cut every day. Everything, and I mean everything, is made on site, including their incredible bread. It's the one day, folks, that you can forget about low-carb diets. Trust me when I tell you, Texas Roadhouse, your restaurant, your destination, when you say, where should we go and eat tonight? Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? 
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.